Thanks, Larry. Well, good morning, North Wake family. I'm tempted at this point to do two things that I'm not going to do. One is just to stop and go around and hug about two-thirds of you. Uh, And the second thing is to tell a thousand stories of the ways that this church family has shaped who I am and has helped to create a church family in my hometown of Martinsville, Virginia. And this is because of the great love that is shared by those who are North Wake. That's actually what we're going to talk about from the entire chapter of Ephesians 3. Who's nervous? Show of hands. The entire chapter. And I'm not going to look at the clock, so now you're really nervous. But here's the thing. There were some who came from Martinsville Friday night to meet some of you. And the fact that some people that have never met any of the people except the two families that came wanted to come over and meet you guys, wanted to be connected to you, is evidence of the impact that the love that we have for one another has beyond just this geographical location, right? Uh, As a matter of fact, there's going to be five opportunities for you, Northwake, to come to Martinsville this year. And uh, I have the first little intermissions booth on the right as you go out, and I want to be there in between and after and want to talk to you and hand you out the list of trips. And the reason for that is that it is our love for one another that gets people's attention. This morning we're going to look uh, briefly, quickly, at the third chapter of Ephesians together. So go ahead and start turning that way. By the way, you'll notice that the slide hasn't changed. It's not going to change. We're doing this uptown style this morning, okay? Which means we're going to use uh, the word that you're holding. And my, my goal is that we will understand what the third chapter is about and have some way of applying that in our lives when we're done uh, with the next few minutes. Now, the main point of this third chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is to explain further what Paul is calling here the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. What is the mystery of the gospel? The mystery of the gospel is that all people have a place in God's church because of Christ. And the incredible unity and oneness that the gospel creates which becomes our primary witness of the gospel to the world. This incredible unity and oneness that is created by the, by the gospel crosses every human boundary. It even crosses the boundary of geography. I've been places that I don't speak the language, I don't know the culture, and I find that I have a family there in Christ. Jesus gave us, his followers, one new command. The one thing above all others that is to mark us as his. This is from John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then when Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, he prayed to the Father. Now I am no longer in the world but these are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep Through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And then in verse 20, that same chapter, he's still praying. And he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be one in us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me. 
and have loved them as you have loved me. Notice in all of those words of Jesus from the Gospel of John, there is both sending and oneness. And I'm here to tell you, if you haven't figured it out yet, those things are connected. The Apostle Paul calls this the mystery of the gospel. I'm going to read the entire chapter of the, of the third chapter of Ephesians right now, and then we're going to dig in. Follow along with your eyes. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then our favorite benediction, probably. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. Amen. So what I hope we get out of this text this morning is three basic things. From the first seven verses, we're going to see that the mystery of the gospel is the idea that all people are both equal and unified in Christ. From verses 8 through 13, we're going to see that the mystery of the gospel has as its product, if you will, the result of the mystery of the gospel is the church, the unified church of Jesus Christ, which reveals the gospel to the world. And then... The last section, 14 through 21, we're going to see that only in being the church, unified by and living out the gospel and inviting the lost world into the family, will we experience the fullness of the Christian life. Let's dig in the first seven verses here. The mystery of the gospel is that all people are both equal and unified in Christ. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and this reason that he's referring to here is from chapter 2. And it's that we who are in Christ were once dead, but now in the gospel we're made alive. We were once far off, but now in the gospel we are brought near. 
We were once strangers, foreigners, and aliens. But now we are citizens and saints together in Christ. We are equal in our access to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, just as we are equal in our need for Him. So that when Paul begins to explain his part, who am I, what is this thing that God is doing in me, he, he almost goes on this spirit-filled tangent right here. He starts, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he just, I think, gets really excited. You guys ever just get really excited and just start talking about something? And just get filled with this thing, this idea that's bigger than you, that you can't contain. This is what the gospel is and does. To those who were once dead but are now alive in Christ. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And he's referring, what he's written briefly there is the first two chapters, really uh, chapter 2. The one new man in Christ. Verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The reality is that in this first generation of the church, there were those who were reached who were Jewish believers and those who were not Jewish believers. Those who were Jewish believers tended to see themselves as superior to those who had not previously been Jewish. And there were a lot of reasons for this, but it was a huge issue. Imagine if two-thirds of the people of the people in this room right now were viewed by the other third as maybe a little bit less than. Imagine the tension and the disunity and the dysfunction that that could cause. So much so that uh, we're not going to go out and share a meal together. Uh, I'm not really comfortable with you being in my house. We're not really going to do life together in a meaningful way. Like all humans, the Jews tended to take a very ethnocentric interpretation of life and of Scripture. And they had some good theological reasons for doing this. Okay? The Jews were God's people, and he had promised to send a Messiah king who would redeem them. But they largely missed the parts of God's promises to them that weren't actually about them. And it's evidence uh, in, in this room right now that, that we kind of get that this isn't all about us, right? Praise be to God. May we never forget. But we all tend to do this in our own ways. And it may well be that we're more comfortable celebrating the idea of going to the nations than we are going across the street. But a brother whom you know, many of you know very well, says we do yearbook theology. We read the Bible the way we do our yearbooks. We figure out which pages we're on. And we go and read and derive meaning from the Bible through the lens of ourselves as though we're the main character, when in fact God is the main character of the Bible. The Jews missed the parts that made it clear that the Messiah was in fact for all nations, all peoples. When the Messiah came, many Jews were just looking for the military king that would take them out from the rule of Rome. But the captor that the Messiah came to relieve us all from was our sin and the one true enemy. Then Paul says in verse 7, pushing forward, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. 
As Paul would say at the beginning of the next chapter, we're to all walk worthy of the same calling with which we were called, and that calling is to be the church. Calling is not only for the seminary folks, y'all. And I know the word calling is used a lot of different ways to mean a lot of different things. Sometimes it's used to say, uh, God called me to buy this house because it's the one I want. I can afford it, so obviously God's calling me to it. You can fill in your own version of that because we all have our own versions of that, don't we? But ultimately, we have the same calling. We are called just as we are saved, out of our sin, into God's church, and onto God's mission. And you cannot separate those three things. They are tied together. So while Paul's role in spreading the gospel to the Gentiles in that time and in those geographical contexts certainly was unique. None of us have that exact sort of expression of the calling But we are all called to live out the gospel as we are going to the nations and to the grocery store. In the same way, uh, Martinsville, Virginia, which is my hometown, was a calling. It is a calling. Not because I got an email from God. How many of you are waiting on that email? Still waiting. I'm still waiting. But the reality is, the call on all of our lives is to make disciples who make disciples. To be the church in a way where our love for one another is something into which... The lost and broken and hurting people of the world want to come. So it made sense to move home, to do that where the relationships were already somewhat in place. But where you are now is where you are called to be, the church. And there are people in your lives right now, and I would guess that if you are in Christ, that means you're filled with the Spirit. And I would guess this morning the Spirit is maybe bringing some people that live in this town to your mind right now. Don't look away. Hear the voice of the Spirit. Maybe write those names down. Commit yourself to building a gospel-centered relationship with those people and invite them into this. Invite them into the family. Underneath this carpet, there are names written down because when this building was built, it was built as a tool so that this church could better reach this community. And some of the people whose names are written behind the paint and underneath the carpet and underneath the girders, they've been uh, welcomed into the family. They've been made new in Christ. I wasn't here for any of that. I came after that. But that captured my imagination, right? That's a good reason to build a building, y'all. We don't need a building to be the church. That's a good reason to build a building. Now, I would just encourage you to see, look around, like really, actually, all of us, we all do it, none of us feel awkward. Just look around, you see the flags, you see, we're, we, we've been celebrating the fact that we are a global faith, that God is at work all over the world right now, and we get to be a small part of that, but I want you to think big and small about Wake Forest, North Carolina. Verses 1 through 7, we saw that the gospel mystery is that all people are both equal and unified in Christ. In verses 8 through 13, we're going to see that the gospel mystery is not just present. The gospel mystery is alive, and it reveals the gospel to the world. Looking at verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul, the most passionate Jew, the one who persecuted the followers of Jesus, is now being called to go outside of his people to whom his identity was once tied. 
to go to those that were un, unsearchable, unreachable to him and, and take the glory of Christ, the love of Christ, the fellowship of Christ to them. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. Now the plan of the mystery Some of you have the administration of the mystery. Some of you have the fellowship of the mystery there in verse 9. What is that all about? What is happening there? The concept really is stewardship. You've been given this thing. Now do something with it. Be something because of it. In other words, it's not enough just to know and talk about the mystery. And this is why at every point in this text, I want to do what Paul did and go off on a tangent and tell each one of you stories about all of you and the love that my family has received. Because as I reflect on the gospel, you guys live this out. It shaped me. I never wanted to be a pastor and I never wanted to go home <laughs> until I got ruined by you all. And that's something that's worth going and living out is this love that we have for one another. This is the administration of the mystery, the fellowship of the mystery. This shaping, loving, celebrating, grieving, affirming, correcting thing that we do all messy-like together as the church. And this is what Paul is saying the church is there to be. And then he, he's going to connect for, for us in verse 10 that that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, the, the fellowship of the mystery is used by some translations in verse 9 as a way of kind of interpreting verse 10 back into verse 9 to make sure that we get what this administration of the mystery really is. He goes on and says, for this, this mystery was something that for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now they think that the, the phraseology created all things is there to reinforce that this is the very same God who created us for the purpose of communion with him. We're not talking about a new thing here, right? This is a redemption and restoration ultimately of the one thing, our purpose of bringing him glory and reflecting him throughout the world. But the unity of all peoples through the G- Jewish Messiah was a secret at one time. Church, let me ask you a question. Is, is, is this still a secret? I'm not sure you guys are convinced. Let me, let me say it again. The unity of all peoples in Christ through the Jewish Messiah, the gospel, is it still a secret? Y'all are good at the Sunday school thing anyway. I'll give you that. But this is the part where, you know, people fight over the right to uh, spend $8,000 over a parking spot. That was really funny last night. But why? So that that money can go to see more people reach with the gospel. To spread the reach of the mystery of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we're doing that. It's not about the parking spot, people. I think we all know that. Although Greg's going to be really excited he doesn't have to drag his amps from the other side of the, the parking lot. That, that goes way back, by the way. But when I tell people in Martinsville that there is a loving church family in North Carolina that not only let us leave without a fight, that sent us intentionally, supports us in every way, uh, you know, Sam Williams and I spent two hours on the phone two weeks ago helping me process something. I talk with so many of you at different times. We are family. Being back this weekend is just so normal. It's weird how normal it is, if that makes sense. But we are not known in the Bible Belt, us Christians, for our love for one another. We are in the Bible Belt here, by the way. We have enough transplants that 
in, in this area, we kind of lose that. But in the farthest reaches of Wake Forest, it's still the Bible Belt. And that's just Martinsville too, by the way. We're known for our love to fight one another more than our love for one another. But see, that's the opposite of how it's supposed to be, verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. God has established in Christ the church, we who are called to live out and embody this mystery. The church literally is the mysterious fellowship of the gospel. By the way, that means if we're not pretty weird, we're not doing it right. If it's not awkward and messy, we're not doing it right. It is through the fellowship and the unity of the church, the love the church has for one another, that the world will see the gospel lived out and they will want in. We all know that this building isn't the church. Like, that's like the obvious, yeah, absolutely. We all know that the website and the logo and the bulletins and all these other tools that are helping us to try to be the church here in this place in this time are not actually the church. In that sense, it's not those things that are going to reach people. Another wise older brother said to me and says all the time, what you win them with is what you win them to. Many of you have heard that before. It is our living out the unity that we have in Christ. It is our love for one another. It is our administration of the mystery by being the fellowship of the mystery that will win lost people. Yes, we must pursue truth. The truthiest truth that there is, his name is Jesus. And knowing him, receiving him, saves you out of your sin, but it also saves you into the church and onto God's mission. The willingness to give and receive practical love and affection and service and sacrifice and invite the lost people around us into that messy, beautiful family is what infected me here amongst you and propelled me home. Where the the false religion in Jesus' name is literally killing people. This is the Bible Belt. North Wake, I learned that there's something else. From seeing you be awkward and messy with me. And I'm here as Paul is doing in these first three chapters. Not to teach you something new. But to remind you of who you are. And to push you forward in that. Verse 13. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Which are your glory. Paul is saying here to the church. The fellowship of the gospel mystery. Hey by the way. This is all worth suffering for. And many have different kinds of suffering than we will ever face in the Bible Belt. My brother sat up here a little bit ago and was, and was talking about, yeah, we don't see that much threat. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm just weird at home. Like, that's, you know, nobody's threatening me. It's actually culturally beneficial to at least appear to be a Christian in the Bible Belt. And that may be the most dangerous thing to the gospel. So far we've seen from the first seven verses the gospel of the mystery is that all are both equal and unified in Christ. And we've seen from verses 8 through 13 that the gospel mystery is alive in the church and it reveals the gospel to the world. And finally in verses 14 through 21 we see that only in being the church united by and living out the gospel, inviting the lost world into the family will we experience the fullness of the Christian life. 
He starts back in verse 14 with the for this reason. That should sound familiar because he's kind of, oh yeah, that was the thing I was going to say before I got excited. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And the, for this reason, again, is still that chapter 2, one new man out of the two, right? That we are unified. But this prayer that he's about to pray kind of brings it home for us. Helps us to place this sort of application questions in our own minds. And I pray the Spirit will do that as we read through this. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now all these great things that Paul prays here for the church at Ephesus, that, that they would have strength from the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. He prays they would have power to grasp, which means to really experience and grab hold of and be shaped by the incredible size and magnitude of Christ's love, which is greater than even intellectual knowledge on its own. But Paul says in verse 13, 17 there that the, the key is for the church at Ephesus, the church called Uptown, the church called North Wake, to being filled with the fullness of God is that we be rooted and grounded in love. Furthermore, he says in verse 18, we can only experience these things together. Brothers and sisters, this is our calling to be the church. To be one practically as we already are theologically. To become who we already are in Christ, as another wise older brother has said. Because the lost world is watching and because this oneness is how we will experience and participate in God's purposes for us, we must commit to one another. That we would see this lived out here and everywhere. This is the calling to be the church. We've really skipped a rock across this chapter. And I, if you're like me, you're, you're catching your breath. You're like, oh, wow, that was a lot. But here are the three things we want to take away, just as a reminder. The mystery of the gospel is the idea that all people are both equal and unified in Christ. The second thing is that we're going to see the mystery of the gospel as the church, as the product of the mystery of the gospel, the unified church of Jesus Christ, as it reveals the gospel to the world. We are the living proof that Jesus is who he says he is and that we have been made new by him. And then at the end we saw that only in being the church unified by and living out the gospel, inviting the lost world into the family, will we really experience the fullness of the Christian life. So some of us may have that sense that I'm not feeling all that great about my faith. And the answer is not to get your checklist out and start checking all the things off the check. Did I have my quiet time today? Uh, did I make it to the serve? Did, that's not what it is. It is to commit to the fellowship of the mystery together that we may be the living embodiment of the gospel. And by the way, you will be contagious. And you never know, God might even send you home to infect your hometown. So beware. I'm going to close this with these last two verses of the chapter. 
And I want you to think about and pray about the people that God has put on your heart and mind this morning as we've been looking at this. And you should be compelled to dream about the nations and dream about your neighbor being a part of the family of God, around the throne, together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord Jesus, we do ask you to do this among us. We give you great glory for the way that you have united our hearts and minds and made us one. But God, we are hungry for more oneness in you. That we would embody the amazing, radical, forgiving, incredible, forever love of the gospel and our love for one another and oneness together. God, we thank you for the gospel that makes us truly family brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be faithful to what that means. Pray this in your name, Jesus, and under the banner of your great name, Jesus. Amen.